This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. With a bailout approved and on its way to the president's desk for a signature, what scenarios are likely to play out as the bailout legislation is implemented? Arnold Kling, a former senior economist for Freddie Mac and the Board of Governors at the Federal Reserve, lays out a dark scenario for how this bailout might proceed and the legends that may be created even if the bailout is a total failure. Well, it seems like the legend that's building is that this was a massive failure of a unregulated capitalist system. Uh, no one's been able to pinpoint exactly which regulations were let go and how those caused the result, but that doesn't matter. There was this atmosphere of deregulation, and, and the mere atmosphere of deregulation uh, somehow caused excess, and Washington had to step in and bail out. Um we're going into an election. I think we'll be going into an election where uh, the Republican Party is likely to be quite demoralized after this. And uh, conceivably, we will come out of the election with a Democratic president, a massively Democratic House and Senate. And the stage is set for uh, almost any number of uh, socialist-type measures where you know, the, they will say, well, if the financial markets can't be trusted, well, health, private health care certainly can't be trusted. So the election may be uh, defined as a mandate for the United States to adopt a European-style model of democratic socialism. I hope I'm not being too pessimistic here. Uh, you know, maybe I'm overreacting to, the, to my team's latest loss, as it were. But uh, that's my, my current thinking, that this is going to have really major structural impacts on the U.S. economy. We may not have a private sector as we once knew it. Um, we may, we may, they may move in a direction of government partial ownership of banks, um, government severe government regulation of the financial sector, and through the financial sector, everything else. Um, you know, in, in some other countries, they have what's called crony capitalism. Maybe the worst case of that would be China, where you know, if you're a member of the party and you have friends in high places, you can start a successful business. If you don't have that going for you, it's very difficult. Um, with the government so heavily involved in the financial sector now, I fear that we're going to be in that situation where if you want to... Uh, really mobilize a lot of capital in this country, you have to have friends in Washington. Now, The Economist uh, recently gave a not-so-ringing endorsement to uh, this uh, piece of legislation, essentially saying it might work, so we're for it. And a lot of economists have, have said uh, that maybe it'll work. But, but my question is, is it possible that this could play out just like wage and price controls in, in uh, the early 70s where economists were initially on board for that despite, despite uh, historical evidence to the contrary and it just turned into a disaster? Well, interestingly, the academic economists are probably a lot less on board for this than they were for wage and price controls. There's a pretty broad spectrum of academic economists who are not happy. I think the best thing they'll say is, well, some of them think that we did need to do something in a hurry, and we couldn't coalesce around the right policy, so we had to enact the wrong policy to sort of boost confidence. That, that sounds very strange as I'm saying it, but that, that's really kind of the, the, the most positive academic 
position on this. On the question of whether it will work, let me let me go through f- I, what I think are four cases. Um, case is in sort of two dimensions. The economy either would have been fine without, you know, was going to be fine anyway, or the economy was headed for a big crash and downturn. And then the other dimension is the policy is good and the policy is bad. So if the economy was going to turn out fine anyway, then it doesn't matter whether the policy is good or the policy is bad. Uh, Chances are the policy will be given credit uh, under that scenario. If the economy was going to turn down and uh, it does turn down because the policy doesn't work, then I, I think there's a chance that the policy will be blamed, but I think there will just be an effort to say that the policy was, you know, maybe too little too late, but it was the right idea. Um, and then there's the case where the economy really was going to turn down and the bailout saved the day. I think that's unlikely to be the case, and the only way you can prove that any of these things worked uh, would be through a controlled experiment, which we're never going to have. Uh, I would have loved to run the experiment the other way, that is not pass the bailout, and then run the test to see whether the economy was going to survive without it or not. And I th- my view is it would have survived without it. If I'm right that it would have survived without it, then I think the chances that the economy will recover uh, after some turmoil uh, are pretty good. I think those chances have actually gone down as a result of passing this legislation. But uh, because there are these four cases and, and there's only going to be one res- one outcome, it's impossible to sort out really which it's going to be. I, I, people are going to be arguing for years uh, whether this policy did any good or not. Details are very light as to exactly how this uh, piece of legislation will uh, eventually find its way to a functioning process, and that that seems to have the opportunity to create all types of. Uh, opportunities for uh, self-interested people who are actually actively involved in the process. Yes, at, at a fundamental level, um, you know, the, the core of the Paulson plan, the original three pages, not the 450 pages of what John Cochran called the pinata of ridiculousness, pinata filled with ridiculousness. Before that, that happened, it was a three-page proposal that was basically to give the Secretary of the Treasury, $700 billion to run a hedge fund to try to buy what are allegedly undervalued mortgage securities. In my view, there's a divide between what I call the suits and the geeks. The suits are the executives and high-level regulators, and the geeks are the people who actually uh, have pricing models for this credit risk. The geeks think that the prices are about right, and the suits think that the securities are undervalued. And I guess we're about to find that out, that the whole hypothesis behind the bailout is that the suits are right. Uh, the suits have been wrong all along so far, uh, so I'm not optimistic. And I, I'm an o- myself an over-the-hill geek, uh, and so I side with those. Just I haven't priced any of these mortgage securities myself, but just you know the people that, are, that I think of as sort of my family in this, in this thing, the, the, the geeks uh, are the ones who, who think that the values are actually pretty accurate where they are. So anyway, the tre- so the Treasury is going to presumably hire a bunch of geeks or contract or create incentives for private firms to hire geeks by saying, by doing some kind of profit sharing with uh, private firms where the private firms will get access to Treasury's low borrowing rates. And in exchange for that, they'll share the quote-unquote profits on their mortgage securities purchases 
with the government. Uh, that might be the, the simplest way to envision this taking place, although I, I can't be sure. Um, and so that'll, uh, so that'll put a whole bunch of poker chips into the game, uh, and then there are a bunch of presumably recently laid off poker players from, uh, from a lot of the investment banks who will then get into this game and play it and play it using our money, uh, again with some kind of profit-sharing arrangement to be determined. And then in the end we will discover whether these mortgage securities truly were overvalued or undervalued. I think the way the securities operate, it's like there's a five out of six chance. Imagine you're rolling a dice, and if it goes up one through five, you win a dollar, uh, and it comes up six, you lose you know, your whole bank account. I think that these securities will have that kind of characteristic, so there's a, a good chance that even if the securities are correctly valued, uh, the set of outcomes in terms of house prices will be such that uh, the government will show a small accounting profit at the end of the day from these investments. But there's that kind of one out of six chance that there will be a catastrophic loss where the government loses pretty much the entire $700 billion. And in fact, I don't think the suits understand this, but some of these securities are so leveraged that they could actually, if they bought enough of, of the wrong types of securities, they could actually lose more than 100% of their investment. So uh, $700 billion isn't even the maximum that the taxpayers could lose on this, although I think it's unlikely that they will choose securities that are that heavily levered. Arnold Kling is a former senior economist for Freddie Mac and the Board of Governors at the Federal Reserve. You can read some of his work at Cato.org.